This is The Sidebar, a podcast by the New York Association of Black Journalists. Before we go on our holiday break until January, we leave you with our October panel on salary negotiations. Chapter treasurer Janelle Griffith leads an informative discussion with our panelists Errol Cockfield and Walter Smith Randolph on the do's and don'ts of the negotiation process. Listen in for some tips, and maybe you might be able to start 2024 off with a higher figure on your paycheck. He is a strategic communications advisor who counsels corporations on positioning and crisis management and a partner at the Brunswick Group, a global critical issues firm. And we have Walter Smith Randolph, who most recently was the investigative editor at Connecticut Public, the statewide NPR and PBS public media station, where he launched and led the accountability project project. And now Walter has a new job. He can share with us briefly. Yeah, sure. I'm joining the team at CBS New York in about a week as the investigative executive producer. Yay, Walter. So we're going to pick his brain. Clearly, he knows how to negotiate a salary and upgrade. So he will share with us all those tips right now. Um, So we're going to get straight into it. I have some questions for them prepared but um, feel free to send any, and I will also ask them um, throughout the, during the Q&A. But um, my first question for you both is, should, I, I feel like there's been mixed advice on this, and there's always this debate brewing every so often on Twitter um, when it was still the old Twitter. But should you bring up salary during a job interview? And if so, when? So I don't know who wants to take it first. Walter? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. And and just first, it's glad to be, uh, I'm glad to be with everyone. You know, um, I was president of NYBJ at one point and uh, have a journalism background. So it's great to be in the fold. Look, I think um, on salary, I don't think you should bring up salary in early negotiations until the other side brings up salary n- negotiations. Um and then once they bring it up, they bring that up, then that sets the stage for it. But I think that's a faux pas that quite a few people make that they introduce salary too early and that can be off-putting for hiring managers. I guess I would say for that, you know, as a manager, I guess my strategy is a little different. I always bring it up in the first interview. I say this is my budget because I don't really want to waste any time. You know, I don't want to go into a second and third interview and You know, I say, you know, our budget is this range, you know, does that work for you? And if you say yes, you know, that's great. We can, you know, push you on if we want. If you say no, then I know that it's out of my budget and I'm not going to waste your time and waste my time. Um, I tend to not ask for uh, salary when I'm interviewing. I mean, the good part of New York now is that you have salary pay transparency. So all the jobs have it posted. Um, But, you know, if you wanted to, um, which I don't necessarily recommend, I would say maybe at the end of the conversation, say, you know, what's your what's your salary budget or what's the budget for this position, right? That's kind of like a generic question, um, and that's like something at the like the very end. But I, I don't I don't know that you should be talking numbers in your first interview because you don't even know if you have a second interview yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And you don't want to turn people off and I guess make them think you're just money hungry and you're not really interested in the job itself. Um, The next question I had was, should you ever take a pay cut for a job? Yeah, look, I think I think that's um, I think the answer to that is is very personal. 
Um, you know, but I, but I think there are instances where, where folks can take a pay cut because they're going to get experience that they haven't get, gotten before. There may be a brand that's going to propel their career in a certain, in a certain way. Um, but that, that comes down to a negotiation with yourself, your family. Um, look, I do think there are instances where you can take such a severe pay cut that, you know, it, it, it can hamper you if there's an environment that's more transparent. For instance, let's say you take a job in government and you take a severe pay cut and your salary is transparent um, because it's freedom of information law and that kind of thing. So then you're at a negotiating disadvantage, right? So um, that, that, that's one instance where I would be more careful. Um, yeah, I would say that it's a very personal um, answer, like uh, Errol said. Um, it really depends on your circumstances, but I can give you an example of where I know someone did take a pay cut because they were coming from a bigger station to a smaller station, um, and also like they needed to be there because of the location. And so they did take a slight pay cut, but I would say on the flip side of that, you know, explore if, if there are opportunities to make that up. You know, if you go to a smaller station and maybe you're a reporter, but you know that maybe there will be some editor positions open. And so you, maybe you can make that jump where, you know, you were at a bigger place and you, there was, you know, there were managers there for 25, 30 years, you know? Um, so I would take that into consideration as well. So uh, long, you know, long answer short is it really depends on your circumstances. Yeah, Janelle, I wanted to add something on, on this uh, salary point, um, which I think is really important as a mindset when people start out. Um, in you know whether they're pursuing something some or an organization is pursuing them and i think it's really important for people of color who you know we have to acknowledge the hundreds of years of disadvantage and and oppression that that we have faced and there are systemic uh, pay gaps for for people of color for women underrepresented groups right so one of the things that I have a very strong point of view about is when often, and often I saw, I saw this often in when I was in, in journalism and newspapers where the folks are coming to you and very early in the discussion, they're asking you, where are you at, right? In a very sort of pointed way. And I think folks should really resist the urge to talk about where they're at because the role may not be about where you're at. The role is about the role. The value of the role is the value of the role. And that's where you need to be negotiating from. And I think, um, you know, folks in, I think in journalism, there's been a, a kind of like difficult mindset on being aggressive, frankly. That's been my experience with friends. And I think there really needs to be a shift in that. So if someone's asking you, hey, where are you at? There was, my response is, you know, let's let's talk about the role. Let's talk about your expectations for you, the role. Let's talk about the experience I bring. Let's talk about, you know, even like the employer's view of the marketplace and their their view of the role. Because I think when you look at, okay, you're in your 20s and your 30s and folks are asking where you're at and you you end up at a number that's lower in each step. By the time you get to 56 years old, you've been at a, a in a series of disadvantage, essentially, that you need to break as early as possible. Yeah, that's a great point. 
And I feel like, especially the younger you are in your career, and like you said, as a minority or as a woman, sometimes you feel nervous making those asks or, you know, asserting yourself, but you need to because nobody's just going to magically be like, here's more money, usually, you know, at any employer. Um, I just wanted to ask one more question, and then we have a a question waiting in the Q&A. Um, how do you negotiate non-financial perks like vacation days or reimbursement, say for like the NABJ conference? Cause you know, a lot of people take conferences and different, um, growth opportunities like that very seriously. I know a number of people who go every year, I think Tori, my, my, our good friend Dion Hampton, they go every year. Um, so how do you negotiate that in your contract or when you're getting a job? So I think it depends on the organization. So if you're at a more corporate place, like say an NBC or CBS, that's already kind of built in into how they run the, the, the company. So it may be that everyone starts at three weeks and then you get to five five years, you get another week and then you get 10, 10 years um, and you might get four weeks. Like So you, you really have to be careful with that. But if you're at a smaller company, like where I just work, you can negotiate that because they have more flexibility. And so you may get to a point where you're talking about uh, compensation, you're talking about salary, and maybe the number's not where you're at. And you might say, okay, well, can I get another week of vacation? Um, and they may very well say yes. Um, what I also do is every job that I've, I've interviewed, uh, well, if I get an offer, get to that point and say, can I have, um, you know, okay, three weeks vacation, can I have a week or five days of professional development? Um, and so that way I can use that whether I'm going to the IRE conference, whether I can go to the NABJ conference. I mean, if they tell you that you are happy use vacation days for NABJ, you should run away. And then you should also call me so I can call them and say, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Um, so I think that's one way to do it. Um, and then I also would get it up front, like as maybe like an addendum to the offer that they will pay for it. Because I've been to places where they said that they would pay for it. And then next thing I know, I have to write an essay about it, right? Um, and just and just make sure that you get that in writing. And I would never ask to be reimbursed. I would ask for them to pay for it. Pay, pay for it. You know what I mean? Um, try to see if they can pay for it up front. But it just really depends on the policy for the company. Because some places, you know, they only do reimbursable receipts. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think Walter said it quite well. I think for me, there's like two additional points on this that are critical. One is timing and one is tone. On On timing, it's... Um, I would have these kinds of negotiations um, towards the tail end of the process when you feel confident you're about to get an offer or you actually have, a, have an offer, right? Then on tone, um, look, I think, I think you have to ask about the culture of the organization and get a sense of that before you kind of go in hard charging on, on, on numbers. Because if it's, if it's a if there are organizations that now have limitless time off, you know, you can do it at your discretion. There are ones that are four weeks. There are ones that are like you start out with two weeks on the, on the conference piece. I think it's important not just to say that, you know, you need to these, go to these conferences for your own development, but actually also talk about the goals of the company um, and talk about where you might be a culture ambassador and that you being a culture ambassador is going to improve the reputation of the company. You may even suggest that the company 
have programming at the conferences you go to, and you might help organize a stronger presence. So I think that sends signals that you are, you know, that you are bringing a leadership component into that, that that is a key kind of signaling early on. Okay, great. <clears throat> and we have a question in the Q&A. Someone set asked, how do you negotiate a salary increase when you've been given more responsibility that isn't necessarily a part of your job description? So on, 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 on that one, look, I think if you've been given additional responsibilities, hopefully, right? Hopefully before you've been given those responsibilities, your manager or managers is having a discussion with you about um, you taking on those additional responsibilities. I think what can be difficult is when you ex accept a kind of uh, responsibility creep, if you will, meaning responsibilities are shifting onto your plate and you're not actually speaking up about it or you're not um, asking for a meeting about it. And then it becomes like part of the wallpaper. And then six months later, you're trying to, 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 to uh, set a new tone on stuff you've already been doing. So I think once you, you, you're approached on it and, or that starts to happen, you need to hit pause. And I would say you may, you should always go to your manager first, right? And that, that's, kind of one-on-one on, on, on workplace stuff. But I would say seeking the guidance of an HR representative about the growth in your responsibilities after you notify your manager about your concern about how to have a conversation about this is, is, a, is a nice kind of dual, dual track to have. Um, and then I think lastly, I think you have to read the room of the organization as well. Um, are there people who have taken on additional responsibilities and are they getting paid for it or are they getting additional days or so just to, and, and you may break the mold and that's okay, but I think understanding the culture within your own organization, even as you're trying to break the mold on something new or add is good, is good to do. I think that culture piece is very important because, um, you know, I'll talk vaguely, but I have one of one of my uh, uh, jobs where I was a manager. Um, I, I had been in talks of promoting someone, and their what their expectation of what their raise would be was way over what what I had. And it was one of those things where they're like, "Well, you know, at this company, this person makes this and that." I'm like, "But we're not that company," you know what I mean? Um, and also say like, you know, and a lot of times what people don't realize is that managers um, have a budget right? They just have a budget. And so they can't go beyond that budget. Um, and so that's why there's a range. So that's why I always say, make sure, don't take the first offer, you know, you get always, you know, make sure that you always ask for a little bit more and then expect for them to meet you halfway. Um, but so I think that culture, you know, you got to know where you are and what they're capable of. So I think that's kind of important. As far as the responsibilities, you know, as soon as, like Errol said, as soon as they start talking about those responsibilities, that's when I feel like you say, okay, so is this a new role? Is this, is my role expanding? Is this a title change? You know, is this a promotion? Um, and because once you say that, they say, okay, well, what's the compensation for this promotion or for these additional responsibilities? I've had people come to me where I say, you know, this is going to be your new title. This is going to be your new responsibilities. And they've said, pushed back at me and they said, okay, well, the compensation that you're giving me for that, those new responsibilities, 
isn't much more than what I'm making now. And so, you know, I don't know if it's worth me taking this promotion, you know what I mean? And so then you kind of have to, you know, negotiate on that. So um, I think those are, those are kind of the ways. Yeah, this, um, I, I noticed in the chat, someone asked that more specifically on, is it annual review or every two years on salary? This, this is an important point because to the culture piece as well. But I think it's entirely reasonable once a year for most organizations, for someone, for an employee to have an expectation that their salary would be reviewed against their performance. I think some some corners of journalism are have been behind in this area. You know, look, I, I think about my newspaper time and, you know, there were there were often promotions around new beats, new titles that may not necessarily have come with a salary rise. But and again, to the point of like breaking the mold and pushing harder against like our backgrounds and things like this. Even when you are negotiating kind of your contract, your offer, I think it's entire one of the things that you can do is actually say, I have an expectation of an annual review and you know and and a review of my salary each year. Would you agree to that? That's some that's something that's a consideration that's not out of out of the bounds. I think another um thing that's important to know about this is when your company's fiscal year starts and ends. Is your fiscal year January to December or is it June to July? Because you like if you're asking for a pay raise or talking about money, the company sets their budget far in advance. So if your fiscal year ends December 31st and you're going to your boss on December 1st asking for a raise and about money for next year, that money has already the budget has already already out there. You know, so make sure that you're giving enough time. I would say three to maybe four months in advance, like maybe break it up by quarters. You know, at the end of the third quarter, go and say, okay, let's talk about salary, about compensation. Um, I had one time where, you know, I had already talked to someone about salary and compensation and they wanted more. And our fiscal year ended June 30th and they came to me on June 15th when I'm supposed to be going on vacation at two o'clock. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know what I mean? Like I'm freaking out because now I have to go into my boss, to my manager and say, hey, so-and-so asked about this. You know what I mean? So just make sure that you know how your company fiscally operates before you start asking those questions. This is an excellent point because to this point, sometimes if a manager tells you they can't do something in, you know, September, you may pose the question as to whether or not you can do this in January, February, and March in the new fiscal. So it's an excellent point. It is. Um... The second half of that question, you guys touched on the first half about when to renegotiate your salary benefits, but the second half of that person's question was, do you wait until after you've been there a year or two? Because timing is also, like you touched on, timing is important because you don't want to seem greedy and money hungry. Is there like a time frame? Should you give it a year or two before you start, you know, raising hell about your pay? Look, I, I think um, larger organizations tend to be more sophisticated about this, like holding companies, right? But but there are even smaller organizations that have um, a regularized review. And this is something that I think you want to ask when you're in discussions with an organization. Do they have annual performance reviews? 
right? And as part of that annual performance review, is there a review of salary and benefits and an opportunity to discuss that? If the organization has a more irregular review system, it makes it harder to have a discussion against performance. Um, I, I would say 18 months or so. I would say at the 18 month mark, you know, it depends on your company's uh, policy as far as like your probation. Is it three months? Is it six months? Right. You don't want to get off probation of six months and then six months later you're asking for a raise. And also you have to like kind of take stock of like your performance. You know, did you hit the ground running and you killed it in the first year? You know, or did you take a little bit of time to ramp up and then the last, you know, uh, month six through 18, you did really well, you know, so I think you need to do that. And there's a couple other things that uh, I think you can ask as well. When you do get that offer, ask if there's a COLA, COLA raises, which are cost of living increases. So ask, you know, what what was your cost of living increase last year? You know, so you can see that number. Um, you know, you also want to ask, are you, do you have, like Carol says, performance or merit raises? Or is there like a success sharing plan? And so like a success sharing plan is that when a company does well, right? And everybody gets a raise based off of their salary. Like it might be 5%, it might be 10%. But if we beat our revenue goal by what dollar amount or what, you know, so you ask like, is there a success sharing plan? Is there a merit raises? So that's another way to kind of know the full financial picture. Um, but short answer is I would say about 18 months. Okay. Yeah, but just one point. distinction is that raises i think my view and my view is more aggressive is that for instance like if 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 the standard raise at a company every year is like tied to some figure let's say three percent right and every employee tends to get a three percent cost of living adjustment right I don't view that as a raise. I view that as a mandatory distribution by the company. So I think you should not be deceived that that is a raise. That a raise is when you go and you negotiate based on performance, based on market conditions, based on the health of the company, and, and you get you know an increase in your salary against something that different than something that, that is regularized and broad. Yeah, there's uh, two questions we have that kind of overlap. Um, they're very similar. One is, can you talk about leveraging job offers from other companies in order to get more money from your current company and being willing to leave if you don't get what you want? You gotta be ready to walk. You know what I mean? If you have that other offer and you go to your, your company, like you gotta you, make sure you have that offer Make sure you have it in writing and make sure that you're ready to walk if they say no, you know. Um, so I have never personally done it, but I've seen it happen where people come and they, you know, they kind of say, I don't have it. I can't do it. And then they end up staying and they're upset, you know. So I think you kind of have to like kind of weigh it because, yeah, you could get another company that has um, that's giving you more money, but they may you may your commute may be longer. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like quality of life as well. Look, I, I think this is an area where folks have to be really, really careful and um, you have to know what you're doing to start to ne negotiate around like somebody's talking to me you know, about something. You know, I my view on this is that you need to play that play that card when there is an offer. Right. 
because that could lead to certain discussions and assessments of your performance within the company um, where folks are like, okay, if you want to leave, we're fine with you leaving, right? So um, if you have a conversation too early and something's not fully baked and you think you're going to be cute and they like kind of test the waters, you may find yourself um, having burned some bridges and hurt your reputation at the place you just end up staying at. So I, I would be very careful. I, I would not do that unless you have an offer. And that's a written, I should be clear, not a verbal offer, but a okay. written offer where there is a signature line that you can execute. Right. The other question that I said was similar to that was, have you ever, have either of you ever asked your employer to match a competing offer? And if so, how did you discuss it with your manager? Yeah, um, you know, I've definitely had a, uh, and, you know, a couple of instances where there was, a, a you know, uh, another company poaching me. Look, I think these can be very emotional decisions and it, emotional times when, you know, you've worked at some place, even if it's short or long, you know, you're, you're, you're reaching out to your manager, you're saying, I need a word. These are conversations I think better to have in person than to have over the phone or over Zoom. And, you know, it's tough to kind of get your talking points together and kind of get, you know, wind yourself up to do that. But, but, but you have to do that. I think those conversations tend to be a real test of the organization's budgetary view of you, right? And, and uh, you know, against your performance. And it may not be personal. If, if they say, you know, we're not able to match, it may just be that the budget line for your role is, is one where all the way up to the chief financial officer, they just can't do anything more. Yeah, I've never, I've never had that. I've, I have had managers say to me, you know, look, I know some places are going to be reaching out to you soon. So when that happens, please come let me know so we can, we can talk. Um, and so sometimes, that, you know, that has happened where I've gone to them and then other times where I'm not staying anyway. So, you know what I mean? So there's no point in that conversation. Um, I have been in, in, uh, I've volunteered that information sometimes where, you know, I know I'm on my way out anyway. Um, mm -hmm. maybe not, not in two months, maybe in six months, but I'm, I know I'm actively looking and I'm getting interviews where I say, Hey, you know, I'm interviewing at some places. I just want to let you know in case you get a call. Right. They're probably not going to call them, but you're putting them on notice. You know, um, I always like to give, you know, as, as, of course, as a manager, I don't like to be surprised. So I'm always like, you know, don't say, I, you know, I've had one employee just come in. I thought she was happy. I thought she was great. And she's like, I'm putting in my two weeks. And I'm like, uh, OK, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, and, and this industry is very, very small. We all know that. Right. So if you if you burn that bridge, it better lead the way. It better lead your way because. Once that bridge is burned, it's burned. Yeah, the, the thing about media that's hard is that there's so many whisper <laughs> whispers, yeah. right? And um, I, I I think if you are if you are seriously looking for a job, you need to go about it seriously. If you and be and be discreet. If you are using um, conversations as leverage within your organizations, I would not advise that. You know, in, in in or I I would advise um, excessive caution within the media world because it's one where people tend to 
everybody knows somebody, you know, media people network like crazy. So everybody knows someone in some organization where do you know so-and-so or did you hear that such and such is, is, is looking, you know, so um, be careful. I've seen that happen in real life where people have interviewed for a job and they strung the person along knowing they weren't going to take it and they end up going into another newsroom. And before they got into another newsroom, someone called and said, do you, can you believe what this person did? Do you know what they did? And you have a reputation as soon as you walk through that door. So I, I'm just, you know, as Earl said, be very cautious. I'm just giving you a real life example because I've seen it. Someone else asked, should you avoid bringing up salary discussions after a round of layoffs? Um, no, I, I think actually that's a time when you probably need to get a sense of, um, again, timing is critical on sa salary negotiations. I would not, my, my view is you, you should probably talk about salary later in an interviewing process and especially when the, the company raises it and then you come back. But I do, I do think that um, like a company's health or like what is publicly available information, if the, if the company's part, especially if the company is part of a, a holding company that has stock and earnings and releases annual reports, you can get a sense of the health of the company, right? And even the health of particular brands within, within the company. Um, and I think I do think that that's one area where even earlier in the conversation, you, for instance, if you just see a round of layoffs and then a hiring manager is like calling you about a new role, you might say, I've just seen, I've just seen these like layoffs. Could you tell me about like the, the current picture about the health of the company? That's one way to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would agree um, with that. If it's if they're offering a job, I think that's a question that you ask and um, and that you bring up, you can ask about the financial health. Now, if you're already in the newsroom, there's been a, a round of layoffs and you come to my office asking for more money, I'm just going to look at you sideways. <laughs> like, I'm like, or, you know, read the room, please. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, that, that would be my blessing. Another question, how should you determine whether you should stay in a role and negotiate more money or leave and take an offer where you could potentially make more money from the jump. That's another personal question, I think, about your career goals and what you want to do. Um, is more money going to make you happier or is having a different role that advances your career um, going to, going to um, make you happy? You know, because if you're at a smaller company, and you can make your make your way work your way up faster through management, but you're making a little less money. Maybe you're working working your way up through management to get that title, and then to make that big jump, right? Or are you just going to be a, a a writer, you know, for all these years, and you're making big money, but you're never going to break into management in the future? You do. If you're fine being a writer, if you're fine being doing that job, and that brings you peace and happiness, I say I say do that. But if you know, you know. Does money solve all problems? It solves probably about 75% of your problems, but not all, right? So you, at the end of the day, you have to feel fulfilled. And, and for me, I got into journalism because every day I wake up and I want to go to work, right? Um, you know, you got to make sure that you still want to go to work. Anymore. Yeah, I think, I think Walter said it perfectly. Okay. Um, I had a question for you guys because I have a friend who's kind of like a mentor to me and the person's older. And they said that 
in journalism, we should switch jobs every few years. They think that it's not good to stay at the same place for too long because they said you kind of can get in a rut just creatively, like you could get stuck in a role. And also it makes it harder to negotiate a salary. Whereas if you not hop around and, you know, act like switching jobs, like frequently, but they think you should move around every few years because it gives you leverage in terms of negotiating salary and just broadening your experience. Look, I, I think that there is a, you know, and, and I've had a mix in my career of staying at places quite a while and staying some places shorter. But look, I think some of the frustration with people of color that prompts them to move some, not all, is that it, it's this gen, it's the generational wealth gap that we've experienced where we are paid less. And often uh, folks find it difficult to stay within an organization and fight the good fight over seven to 10 years or 15 years to get to a point where you have um, salary parity against the market. So um, as a solution, there are some who move more frequently and are strategic with their moves um, because they want to close that wealth gap. And I don't, I can't, I can't blame them for that, right? You know, I remember when I started out as a news newspaper man, there were people who were like, you know, you need to stay at this newspaper for there was a mind an indoctrinated mindset. I can't speak to the mindset now because I'm not as close to it. But I think, I think. I think that mindset in some cases has been flawed and 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 can can is deserving of being picked apart a bit. Um, you know, I, I think like some I think it depends on your role. You know, I started off as a local TV journalist as an MMJ doing I had to jump from market to market, um, just to kind of work that get more money, work market. But what I will say, one of the mistakes I did make is that I stayed with the same company for like for like two and like for three jobs. And because they knew how much money I was making, they could just call the other news director and say, yeah, this is how much we're paying him. And so maybe they weren't giving me the money within the budget that they would have. They Or they say, okay, well, you know, usually, you know, why don't we just give him like $15,000 or $12,000 raise because that's more money for him, you know, and he was making this much money. So I would say if you're like an early career journalist, like, you know, um, and I think then also you can, you have the ability to move around and jump around a little bit. So I would do that, but you don't want to be a serial job jumper. I, that is, you know, if I see that you're only staying at places for 18 months at a time and you've done that five times over, I'm going to be a little bit like, well, why didn't you stay there? Like, why didn't you, you know, what's going on there? You, you get a little bit of concern when you see that on a resume. Absolutely. How do you approach with your managers if you find out that you're making a lot less than people with similar level of experience and who you, it could be objective, but you feel like you're similar skill set and talent level and you find out that other people with less experience are making the same or more than you, how would you approach that tactfully rather than just being petty like, well, Walter makes more than me and he's has five years less experience like is there a tactful way to start that conversation look this is an area where you have to be careful because you have to know that first of all that the information you're getting is verifiable information right just like this is where we need to put our journalism hats on so if one person 
in a newsroom tells you they make X amount or you overhear a person, is that verifiable information? Um, I'm not sure, right? So you've got to be you've got to be careful. Um, there are there have been cases where um, groups of people within newsrooms have come together very deliberately to share information about their salaries and compensation to find out as a gut a collective gut check um, against you know what's happening. I think. I think in New York, for instance, New York One, there were some women who came together. Um, that's one noteworthy example that folks can can Google um, and look up. Um, they sued. But, they sued all together, right? Yeah, they they sued. They sued, and I um, I for, I forget the outcome, but I think the outcome may have been in their favor. In fact, um, so just just make sure that you're getting a a a, a broad picture. I also think you can. If you have um, concerns about gaps in your pay against the market, you can go to HR and just ask that question very, very directly. Like, where does my pay stand against my peer set or, or others or against the market? And then it's HR's responsibility to decide if they're going to be um, you know, more quiet about that or are they going to be more transparent about that? So, but But I would say... Tread very, very lightly. I mean, um, bursting into someone's office because you overheard X, Y, and Z in one instance is um, um, is 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 not not a good thing to do. Yeah, and I think that there are two different. You know, there there's the you know like the New York one folks who did that, but there's also and I've been in newsrooms where there's a Google spreadsheet going around and people are entering their salaries and they're seeing it, and sometimes there's hurt feelings and sometimes you know. You can present it to the bosses and say, can you explain this to us? Like, why is this, you know, a little different? Um, I will say for those of you who work in nonprofits, who can see the 990. Um, one of the worst things that you can do is go into your boss's office and say, oh, I'm only making this, but the CEO makes this. You know, CEO is making 250000 My answer is like, well, are you the CEO? Do you Are you running this company? You know, or the CEO has 30 years of experience. You have 10, right? Um, I think sometimes, you know, I, I had somebody do that and I had somebody say, well, the sec his secretary only makes such and such. And I said, well, she's not actually just a secretary and she's been here for 25 years, you know? So I think you have to, like Bill said, be very uh, careful and tactful about that um, and be a little bit realistic, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, one of the things uh, on this point too, that's been an observation within media as a tone, tone thing is just the the rank and files um, is is sometimes divorced from being studied on the health of the company, the parent company, the marketplace. Um, you know, I'm just gonna ra raise this as an observation. It's not it's not it's not like complete. It doesn't apply to everyone, but you know, there is, I, I've seen, I've seen it where folks are just not paying attention to the health of the company. They're not paying attention to the health of the marketplace. It's that these guys are, they're big, bad guys running the company and there might be, right? But I think there's a middle ground where you come to the table when you're having these discussions, understanding what the most recent picture around the revenue of the company is, like headcount expenses, 
um, trend lines, you know, the marketplace. And that, and that will just make you a, a more powerful negotiator in whatever conversation you're having. Is there anything else we didn't touch on that either of you want to impart on us or do you think is worth highlighting that no one asked? Yeah, I, I think the big point for me that's a, a thematic through all of this, and it kind of goes to the the kind of generational wealth issue. And when we look at some of the stats on, you know, this is a New York Association of Black Journalists. <laughs> so when we look at some of these stats, you know, there's actually been quite a slippage among among Black folks on um, wealth in against where we were actually, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, it is, we are much more in a check to check kind of environment, a mass debt kind of environment. So for me, a thematic around all of this is courage. You know, have the courage to fight for yourself. Um, have the courage to have the tough conversations. If you need your 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 circle of advisors to kind of wind you up and give you the good advice, find that circle of advisors. I'm happy to be that advisor to anyone in this fold. And then just make sure you're empowered with the right data, the right tone, the right timing, and just go on about it because you deserve it. Um, and I would say I think we need to talk more about how much money we're making. I think a lot of us were raised to say that you don't ask people their salary, you don't. Now, I'm not saying go run down, you know, Fifth Avenue and say, how much you make, how much you make, but, you know, within your, within your company or your peers and say, how, well, how much you making over there? You know what I mean? Or what's the, what's the range? What's the salary range? That might be in a, a nicer way, but I think that not talking about your salary really is, is doing, is detrimental to, to all of us, right? What is it? A rising tide lifts all boats, you know, and even when you leave jobs and you know somebody might be going out for the job, I have always said, make sure you ask for this number. I think uh, Vicky Walker, who worked at the Point Sky, she went viral after she she saw how much they were they posted. I think they posted a job for like seventy seventy five thousand, and she yeah. was like, "I was making," she was like, "I was making one hundred and ten or something like that," and yeah. it kind of em embarrassed the company. So I I say be a little bit more open. You know, um, in my role as uh, NABJ VP of Broadcast, I'm hoping to launch a salary transparency uh, survey. There's been some ones that are floating around there, and it mostly applies to television and digital. Um, and you, you could enter it anonymously and you could look at the market, the job title and how much money the person was making. And then also you could compare it to, um, you could compare it to the other markets, right? Because sometimes, especially in TV, people think it's a bigger market, it's more money, but you have to look at the station. Is it a legacy station? Is it the number one station? You know, so it might be, you know, it might be Cincinnati where, you know, where I worked and it's the number one station, it's a legacy station. And it paid, I, I literally have seen, seen this where actually when I was in Michigan and I was, applied for a job in Cleveland and the job in Cleveland paid less than the job in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I was like, that's crazy. Like you expect me to move to Cleveland and make the same amount of money I made in Kalamazoo? That's insane. And so I just knew that like, wasn't the job for me. They were paying the union minimum, right? Um, and that tells you a lot about a company too. If they're paying the union minimum that, you know, either the company's not healthy or they're really cheap. And if they're super cheap and, you know, that's, maybe it's just not a place that you want to go. We have two more questions came in. Uh, Errol kind of touched on this one in his advice about finding your people to empower you if you feel timid or nervous or whatever. Um, how do we get past the intimidation factor when it comes to negotiating? 
I'm about five years into my career and it's still a daunting task. Yeah, I think you have to divorce yourself from the emotion of it when it comes to negotiating. I think you can allow yourself the emotion in, is this the right spot for me? Is this the right team I'm joining? All of those things. I mean, we wrestle with that. We we might lose some sleep over that. Those are, but when it comes to, you know, to, to money, you got to have ice water running through your veins. You have to be willing to make the hard ass and then have the back and forth um, and have people in your corner, you know, review stuff like so, um, you know, whether it's your agent, um, which is often the case within broadcast or lawyers involved. You may have a friend of the family who's a, like a lawyer who's good at contract law, um, you know, so. Those things are are less the case in 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 in, in newspapers. Um, but I but I would say, you know, when that negotiation is happening, you have to just have a mindset that this is this is something that's normal. And and I think this is something that oppressed peoples deal deal with, right? That I am asking for something that is difficult. For this organization to do for little old me and it's like no you are talent that this organization is pursuing they can't function without talent so if you're talent that they want that actually puts you in a in a in a in a in a point of of leverage and i've seen um i have to say when i've seen um white potential candidates for jobs and how they behave against people of color, there are some themes that are concerning on, you know, the aggressiveness between those groups. It's not, it's not, I can't say that's the case for everyone, but it's certainly something that we have to move to get past. I was, I was just going to say that too. Let me tell you something. The white folks are aggressive and they're asking for it. So I, you should not feel bad. This is your livelihood. You know what I mean? This is how you pay your bills. This is your life. So I would say you kind of have to swallow that and, and go in um, and maybe have somebody coach you, you know, so um, maybe somebody that has done it before, maybe someone who's your mentor, you know, have that conversation with your mentor um, and, and be asking those questions because um, everyone else is doing it. So, so why shouldn't you? And probably the last question we have time for someone asked, are there any other benefits we should consider asking for other than vacation and professional development? Yeah, um, a couple, a couple that jump out for me are, this is within the professional development piece, but it's distinct. It's um, a professional association memberships negotiating that, which is not a heavy lift. Um, so like your your membership to NABJ for for instance, right? Um, another thing is actually um, because people can have like very specific requirements around equipment, right? Understanding the equipment that your that the organization what is a standard equipment standard issue phone computer et cetera et cetera, and let's say you have standard issue computer, but you, you like to use iPads, you know, um, you may ask for an iPad as a, as a sweetener. So those are some examples. Um, I would, yeah, I would say those, but I also think, you know, what's your work from home policy? You know, um, I know folks where they're not going to look for a new job because they are like, I don't want to commute. You know, I want to, I want to work from home. So if I could find if this job is full-time remote, 
um, until I can find another full-time remote job or maybe a job that only makes me go in twice a week. Um, so I would look at that. Um, yeah, professional, professional um, memberships. Um, I think, I think that's it. Yeah, that's a great one. The work working from home. Let's say the company policy is like three days a week, but you want to do two. Like you know, that's a great thing to negotiate. Uh, also, flexibility. You know, can you? You know, if you have children, like, can you? Can you? You know, I know some places where somebody would work from nine to noon, and then from noon to like four, they would be off, and then they would come back and work four till quitting till their quitting time. So that might be something too that, you know, I, I wouldn't ask that just because you just want to take a CF in the middle of the day. But if you, you know, childcare is a real thing, you know? And so that's something that you have to, that's something that you have to think about as well. Yeah. You're speaking my language. I have twins. So I know. <laughs> I, see you, I see you juggle them. They're beautiful. Oh, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys so much for all of your advice. I feel like I learned so much and I. A special thanks to our panelists. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give the sidebar a great review. A reminder that the opinions discussed on the podcast belong solely to the individual and do not reflect the views of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information on NYABJ, please visit our website at www.nyabj.org. Music is by Holizna Raps.